of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Captain Kaon by Engage Pixel. James, who are you and what do you do? Um, hi, I'm, I'm James Buckle, and uh, I'm a solo indie developer. I basically sit at home drinking tea and uh, making a game all day long, um, which is great. I, you know, don't is have to go out order, in the cold. Or is it tea first, then making the game? Usually tea yeah. and uh, <laughs> egg and bacon sarnie, um, and a uh, little bit of in there. Then you know, put your feet up and then, and then start the day, and uh, usually finish at some point before I go to bed. Um, <laughs> Unless I then like go to bed and then be like, oh, I've forgotten something, and get out of bed and go and like do some more and then go to bed again, uh, right, right. which happens occasionally. Yeah, yeah. The, the mention of the sandwich reminds me of many, 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 many years ago. Uh, a friend of mine sort of showed me this font. He was fascinated by it. He called it. It's quite, so what's, what's it called? It's a turkey sandwich. Why is it called turkey sandwich? Well, apparently, the maker of it was eating one at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay. <laughs> I'm sure there are many instances where people say, what should I call it? Staring at the thing in their hand. Okay, turkey sandwich it is then. I was once given a um, tip on uh, naming your project because when you when you have um, when it's it's kind of like confidential stuff and, and uh, sort of early days, you, you want to give your project a name, but the problem is you don't want to. Some people they tend to like uh, they they pick a name and then they go, oh, we'll change it later, and then they never change it. No. Um, so he says, like, call it something like baked beans. Just call it. Look at you look at desk. Look around. Just the first thing you see. Call it that, <laughs> and then you have to change it at some point. You don't yes. get stuck with that name. Yeah. There was yeah. a game um, in the nineties called uh, Project IGI, which um, stood for I'm Going In, and that was the. Um, oh, I that remember was the kind that. Of like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was um, made by the same people who did Hitman, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. It was um, a kind of not a. That was like their their like little dummy name. They were going to give it until they thought of a better name. And when they announced it, they announced it as Project IGI with uh, "We're going to give it a proper name later." And then they never gave it a proper name. They just <laughs> instead of calling it Project I'm Going In, they just dropped it to Project IGI. And sounds, that was sounds it. awesome. Like, what's this there yeah. for? <clears throat> I'm not, not, not talking about that. What's this there for? Nothing. So, um, James, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Um, so when I was a kid. Uh, my parents got me a little uh, ZX Spectrum, uh, 48K plus, one with the big chunky plastic uh, keys that would stick <coughs> whenever you pressed them, and it took you forever to write any code. And and um, 
yeah, I like playing games there, but I really like making games. I realized I was getting really fascinated with the writing the code and making it do stuff and things like that. And was that, um, that's the one where the keys would fall out if you put it put it upside down, right? Um, I think mine was okay, but oh, uh, it might it had it had very dodgy hard plastic keys. And, yes, uh, yes, yeah, notorious for that. I do actually have one because I'm very old. But yeah, carry on. <laughs> so you 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 started life from because the Spectrum Basic was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Really. It was yeah, it was it was a neat little you know you could do all sorts of cool little games with it. Yeah. It's uh, and it just it it ran on basic, which was a when you're learning is a great language to learn how to code in. Yeah, um, yeah although there's lots of critics against it because it breaks lots of logic um, structures. Yeah. You probably know <clears throat> yeah, this way better than me, um, but I'm I'm only versed in C. I don't know much about assembly or anything like that. So, but yeah, am I right in thinking that? Is it right to criticize it or not? I don't think it is, but. Well, in terms of like a professional language, if you you know if you want to go and get a job as a programmer, yes. you go and learn C plus plus. Yes, you know you, you basically you um as as a friend of mine at CA said um she was sat at the uh, um Eurogamer thing and there was all the very they're doing like those like stall things where like people come along and they they look at their CVs and they have it and they talk to them and when I'm getting the CV and looked at it and was like and she just looked at it and said. Give it back and said, "Go and learn." And just said, "Programs Java," and she just get back and said, "Go and learn C plus plus." Because like, like you learn C plus plus, and you you can write code, um, and then you can do whatever you want. I mean, a lot of other languages they're they're very limited, and they can do certain things. And basic is great for like teaching kids, but not for like. I'm an adult, and I, I want to go and make something useful, so I'm not going to use basic. Yeah, because there was uh, only two choices back then, wasn't it? It was either <clears> basic, yeah, or, as it was known then, machine code, or as we now know, it's assembly language. Mm. Which is insane, but that, yeah, that was, yeah. that's actually talking to the machine in the series of switches. Mm. That goes on. When that's on, that goes off. But only if that one is on as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I... I I never actually um, got as far as learning assembly. I, I was kind of like, looked at it and was like, I, sh- I should give that a go, but uh, I never quite got as far as doing it. So um, you, you cut your teeth on a specky. What else? What, what, what did you do from there then? Also, um, I think I was about ooh, 13, and um, my parents got me a uh, Amiga A600. The um, little one, and, the dinky one. Yeah, and um, Amigas are awesome. Um, and yeah, that was... Uh, I, I made so many cool little things with it, but uh, never finished anything, unfortunately. I was always starting projects and then just kind of like, um, but never actually like finishing them. And uh, I really like the, because um, then I, because on, on the spectrum, you're, you're having to basically draw, draw it all in um, bits. You have to plan yes. out your little grid and say either there's going to be a pixel there or there's not a pixel there. Yes. Um, and then tell it what color it was in. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, and just like, sort of the color and sort of that like, era, and and it would you kind of limited, but then um, the Amiga came along and it was like, wow, I've got like sixty four colors to play with. Oh my god! Um, but you had an interesting because um, if, if I remember correctly, it had a um, you gave it a 30, 32 color palette which you could set, and then it had a second set of colors it created for you that were. Called half bright or something like that, where all the whether it, it was half the values of whatever the color you set was, mm. which effectively created sixty four colors in a thirty two color system kind of thing. Um, but it's um, yeah, that was when I started like drawing uh, pixel art style and having to like shade things around the edge and all this kind of stuff. That uh, which is what I now do for Captain Kale, which uh, 
Yeah, I was just like really like that kind of pixel art. So I was going in and just right. like drawing all the little pixels and making the shape and getting it to look exactly right. Did and you uh, use D paint for that, or am I being? Um, yeah, yeah, I had D paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that I think uh, version three. Oh, I I, I still have I still have the manual around somewhere. <laughs> I keep seeing. I'm like, what's that doing there? Why? I should throw that away. Yeah, Why is that still there? But it's like it's in a pile in the corner. Ago. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I, I should, yeah, I personally had an A twelve hundred. I I traded it in for five from from a five hundred because um, um, yeah. So they they were amazing machines, mm. and I still have one. In fact, I've got two. One's one's tower in a tower that modified to death. It can it can even run Quake. Don't ask. <laughs> nice. Don't. And then the other one is a pure one, as I call it, the one that's been untouched. Mm. <laughs> Although it's not so touched now because I took out the floppy disk and put a like a USB thing in it, and because the floppy disk died, they're dying. These old machines, yeah. all these things I've got, I've had to, I've, they're dying. <laughs> they're not, and they're hard to replace. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't manufacture them anymore. Um, no. It's then, like the um, yeah. ever read that story about um, NASA having to buy spare parts off of eBay? Yes, because they they work off of the. Um, the really old floppy disks, the like, was it uh, five, five and a quarter? quarter whatever it was. Um, they, the, the, the space shuttle worked off of those, and of course, no one was making them for years. The only way they could get any spare replacements was to go on eBay and buy them secondhand, <laughs> <laughs> which is just extraordinary. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, yeah. Most of my magnetic media is dying now. I've just replaced it with solid state because mm. it works. Yeah, so. and uh, yeah, you think like like the the save icon on on like Word on on anything is is a little floppy disk. Yeah. But how many millennials know what a floppy disk yeah, is? No, exactly. Know? Yeah, like, why, why is, what is that little icon? It's a floppy disk. What's a floppy? Don't start. Don't, because you'll see the back of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you delved into Amiga. You did lots of demos and stuff. What? Or you you started lots of little projects. I mean, did you use Amos and stuff like that? And Oh uh, yeah, Amos. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, yeah, that was a, that was a use with one little tool. That was uh, yeah. I'm not sure what that was based on. I think there was some C in there, but I don't know. Uh, the code structure looked very similar, but I'm probably wrong. But, yeah. um, I think it, it was a version of Basic of some description. I think. Um, yeah, but that was that was like fun playing around with lots of little bits and bobs of that. But again, never never quite ever finishing anything because. Or when some new idea would come along, like, oh, I'll do this instead, I'll do that instead. Yeah, and, got, uh, get, getting distracted by something shiny is a perennial problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you, moving out of your teenage years, then you, you obviously, you know, uh, went through school and stuff. What happened then? Uh, so, um, eventually got a PC to uh, code on, um, but I went to uh, college um, in uh, Crawley, which uh, is a horrible, horrible town. Or city, if it, it if it now is, never go there. Seriously, um, is it as bad as Croydon? It's up there with Croydon, yeah. Right, okay, yeah, I got it. I got it. Um, <laughs> and they they have this really ugly college, which if you when you drive past it, it looks just hideous. It doesn't even look like a college, and it's just got this big tall office block thing that looks like it was built in the sixties, and it's all great concrete and stuff like that. And uh, we're up in the top floor there. They have a, they have a couple of little rooms where. Um, I took computer studies, and uh, we um, we learnt um, the first year. They taught us Visual Basic, which again was like I already know Basic. Why am I having to learn Basic? Damn it! Um, but I spent a year learning Visual Basic, which wasn't too useful. And uh, along with the rest of the class, we knew that in the second year they were going to teach us COBOL, which we were like, this is not going to be particularly useful to us. So um, we kind of asked them, can we learn C plus plus next year? 
and they said, oh, we'll talk to the exam board and stuff like that. And they came back a couple of weeks later saying, no, 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 it's too hard to like change. Have you got to learn COBOL next year? And uh, we were the last, uh, we were the last year that got taught COBOL before they changed the syllabus to teach C++ because COBOL is entirely useless. This is in like 98. Oh, and at that point, God. COBOL was basically useless. Yeah, literally like there was a little, you know, um, oh, what's it called? Dilbert. Um, there was a little Dilbert comic on the wall of the, of the COBOL room, which was a, um, weird um it it had these um unix terminals running off uh as 600 mainframe or something right. it's all green screen and you had to type it all in and when you had an error you had to print it all off on the big looping printer it was like coding in the 70s um and uh they had a little dilbert comic on the wall which had like dilbert and someone having a chat going uh oh, have you seen any COBOL programmers around um and one goes i think there's one coming now and then the next pane's got a dinosaur walking along with a cup of coffee <laughs> Did no one, no one uses that stuff. No one. Yeah, literally, like by by '98, no one was. And we were like, "Why are you teaching?" And they're like, oh, "Well, there's lots of old pieces of software, and the Millennium Bug's going to have be a problem, and you might have to go and fix these stuff." And uh, yeah, I've literally not written a line of of COBOL since I left college. Um, and um, yeah, all, all it, all it, yeah, all did it teach you was logic, maybe. Well, yeah, it's certainly like one of their arguments was it's a different way of writing code that'll that'll help you understand, but it was not in a kind of modern, useful way, they would have been better off... I mean, they taught us VB because they're saying, well, you know, it's it's semi-object-orientated, so it's... And new code is object-orientated, you need to learn how object-orientated code works, um, which was useful because, like, everything I'd done on Amiga and Spectrum was all procedural code instead of object-orientated. Um, so that was that was useful. But COBOL, they were like, well, you know, we need to go back and teach you, like, procedural code and all this kind of stuff and a different way of coding. And it is a different way of coding. It's an insane way of coding that makes no sense. You have to (laughs) – you declare a screen by doing line after line of, okay, column row here, column here, string this. Row here, column here, string this. And you do that for line after line. Then you have to declare the inputs by saying, okay, row here, column here, input here. And then it just sets all up so you tab through, and the, the entire thing is. You made an impact on you. Do you, do you still remember it? <laughs> yes, with 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 a, a, a deep, deep, deep hatred. <laughs> so you you graduated from college, and uh, I assume you did. And uh, what, what happened from then? Well, so the um, my favourite developer when I was a kid was um, Bullfrog. Um, right. We, and they were basically there, up, or used to be, just up the road from me. Because right. um, uh, I'm, I'm quite fortunate where I am. That I'm in the middle of like Guildford and London and Brighton, where there's like developers everywhere. I'm very kind of fortunate like that. Um, and the Guildford was like it's a it's a half hour bus ride away. Um, so I sent them a um, a letter um, by by post, actual like with a stamp and everything, wow. you know. <laughs> they were, they were before, before everything was done. Yeah. <laughs> before everything was done in email, like, yeah. Yeah. and. Um, got a letter back from EA Bullfrog saying, um, oh yeah, we've got some jobs in QA, you know, we, we, we um, come in for an interview, so uh, went along. They had an interesting uh, interview process in that um, they, 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 first of all, they give you a bunch of psychometric tests, which were all these um, kind of puzzle-solving kind of things, and, and word analysis and writing analysis things to figure out if you had a kind of a logical puzzle-solving brain, and if you could cope with understanding language and all this kind of stuff to be a good tester. Um, which I fortunately must have passed. Um, and then they did a, um, 
they did a uh, practical test where we got stuck in front of some PlayStations and they had an old version of it was a football game but it wasn't FIFA it was I think it was FA Stars something like that and um, it was um, a, a very old build so it was really broken and they like just write down any bugs you see and they gave us a few sheets of paper and I sat down and I filled them out front to back with all the all the very many 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 bugs I found in it and uh, when we were handing them back in I saw everyone else handing in like half a sheet with a couple of things on and I'm like oh I've got like five sheets front to back I might have this job yeah. maybe <laughs> Um, and yeah, then I then I got uh, brought on board, and um, unfortunately, um, well, when I got there, it was uh, they had this nice little sort of offices around the back of Guildford. Um, you go through the front door, and there was a nice little foyer with a few little like statues and stuff. And they had in the stairwell, they have this horned reaper statue that was about eight, nine, ten feet high, oh, just in in the stairwell, which is a big, angry, like fist in the air. Keeper, uh, right? Yeah. 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 Um, which was really cool, and uh, went up, and <clears throat> when we got there, got taken up into um, what well, it turned out to be a um, cupboard, a large cupboard that they had cleared out, because they didn't have any space for us, they cleared out a large cupboard, threw all the junk away, put a couple of desks in, and shoved us in the cupboard, because this was right before EA were moving to their new office in Chertsey, right. so um, they didn't have any like room for us, they're like, okay, you're going to be here for a couple of weeks, we'll just put you in this cupboard, <laughs> so we wow. had like, no no lights, no, probably not even no, no windows. <laughs> probably it's not. not a lot of space. I need. We were just shoved in this, uh, yeah, in this, in this. Um, it was a, it was a decent sized kind of um, cupboard, but um, still a cupboard. Initially, <laughs> initially there was like eight of us in there, and you you could barely move to get in and out, kind of thing. Um, but they found space for a few of them, and ended up just being four of us. And then it was still a bit cramped, but it was all right. Um, and yes, yeah, so I so I. Uh, but well, the, the, the kind of the weird thing and the, or the slight annoying thing was like, I, I mean, I, I was only about four months before I kind of like, because once I moved to Chertsey, it was uh, three and a half hour on a train commute. Um, all the way up, up the Clapham Junction, down the Weybridge, across the Chertsey, um, three and a half hours, uh, which was that's not, not fun. But that's, you know, that's not tenable, is it? Really? That's, like, that's not a, yeah. No. But when when you're 19, you're desperately, you know, yeah, yeah. desperately want to get in the industry. And it is it is quite a hard industry to get into. It, is, it was yeah. hard then, it's hard now. It's, it's, yeah. um, it was, you know, got to get the experience, got to kind of do it for a while. Um, I ended up working night shifts on uh, F1 2000, which was um, a game made in, um, in the inside a year. Um, shoved out the door early in terms of the EA realized that their sales figures weren't high enough. No one was getting their bonuses. They needed to release a game. So like, okay, anything that doesn't work in F1 2000, take it out and then throw it out the door and then we'll get some sales and we'll all be good. Um, so it was a bit kind of, uh, I mean, it worked. It just didn't have rain because <laughs> the AI couldn't cope with rain. So they were like, okay, we'll just take that bit of the AI out and take the rain out and then everything's on a dry day. Fair weather um, F1. I seem to remember yeah. the follow-up game to that was awesome. No offence to yourself. Uh, it was done by someone else. I can't remember who did it, but 2001 yeah, that was, uh, was amazing, apparently. I seem to yeah, there was... Uh, there was basically a, a yeah there was there was that one there was basically F one two thousand then there was a follow up one where they basically put all the stuff that didn't work back in right. um, and it was really really broken like I, I went around a friend's house and he was playing it and I was like wow that's so broken how did that get released yeah and then <laughs> then they then they released a proper decent version one six months later that was really good um, wow but. Um, yeah, we actually, we used to, um, when we were testing it, we would, because um, like late at night, there's only like the eight of us in the office kind of thing, just a small team because it was all shift work. Um, 
they had 24 hour testing on it you'd have like a morning shift an afternoon shift and a through the night shift right um and um if you wanted to go out for a cigarette break back in the days when i was naughty and we used to have cigarettes um we would do, and we were testing multiplayer we had this thing we called the penny pilot basically the game had steering assist and driving assist and all these other assists what it didn't have was acceleration assist so if you held your car key down wedged a penny in the gap <laughs> then you could go off and the car would drive around the circuit all on its own without crashing <laughs> and when you came back the race was over the penny pilot it's just yeah fun. so we literally just called it, it, penny pilot it sounds it sounds like all oh, this really mystical code no it's just me shoving a penny in a controller you idiot <laughs> Yeah. It's like you and, know and when, it ha- when when you play like track and field and you get your your wrist and you get your you know you you, you sort of like you just rub the, the the button to get it really go really really fast mm. you know yeah. it's kind of like that isn't it really where you just get your sleeve that's it you get your sleeve and just rub it that's what I used to do anyway and it had to be a penny as well no other coin would fit oh, right, the, right. they're either they're either too thick too round yeah. or too small in the case of the five p right. so you would get people like we're going for a cigarette break people were going anyone got a penny i've got a penny anyone got a spare penny <laughs> like, i've never seen people asking for a penny before <laughs> it was like, i need a penny to wedge my keyboard <laughs> but it was, uh, i mean it was it was a fun four months um and it was you know it, it definitely gave it gave me a really really solid grounding in kind of qa and stuff which was uh has been useful for like even up till now um because I have to test my own game, which is, you know, always hard work. Um, so obviously you, but you it, went uh, into game creation eventually, didn't you? Um, well, essentially, uh, when I um, when I left CA, essentially, because I, um, see, I, I, when I, after leaving uh, Bullfrog, I, um, yeah, I found a found a job at CA, which it turned out were just around the corner from me, um, in the next village over, basically. Um, which, I mean, this is before anyone sort of knew who they were. So, you know, finding out something, finding out, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a game developer in my town? Oh. Um, and, yeah, this was just after they released Shogun. And uh, so I joined there as a tester, um, which was uh, uh, to work on a rugby game, actually, EA Sports Rugby. So having just left EA, I ended up working on another EA game just for a different company. Wow. <laughs> which was, uh, That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was quite a neat little, uh, neat little uh, rugby game for on uh, PS2. So when you say um, CA, you mean Creative Assembly, just to be sure. Creative Assembly, yeah. Those, yeah, it's um, and uh, so you're there for quite some time doing various things. Um, I was there twelve years um, as um, various kinds of tester, up to like lead tester and stuff like that. And uh, but in the end, it was a case of kind of like um, I, I sort of realised um, I've got this uh, plaque somewhere. It's a big lump of plastic with a 10 on it, which uh, one day we were having a big... Uh, they do company meetings there where the entire company um, used to cram into like a massive reading room, but uh, the office got too big. So now we hire out the local cinema and everybody crams in there. Um, and they said um, they suddenly realised how many people have been there for like 10 years or more. Um, so they decided to like mark the occasion and they gave us all these um, plaques with 10s on. Huh. And I got back to my desk with this um, big lump of plastic with a metal 10. Looks and I thought oh, I've just spent 10 years of my life testing. And uh, I kind of realized that, like, if I could go and tell that to my eight-year-old self who wanted to do nothing more than make computer games for the rest of his life, he would be very, very disappointed with me. So it was like, okay, it's time to, like, leave and make your own games because uh, there now exists, like, an indie scene. You can you, you can do that. You can, you know, you can go and just be one person and sit down and make a game and sell it and actually make a living, um, hopefully. It's so liberating, uh, isn't it, to see... The barrier yeah. entry dropped so dramatically, and I do. I have asked this question of other developers on this show. Now, how do you feel that 
No, one minute people needed to know complex assembly to get anything out of a video game, and now all you need is Game Maker. I oh, know that's not true, but I'm being you know. It's, well, then then again, Hotline Miami's made Game Maker, which is insane. Oh, I'm actually I'm I'm using Game Maker. There it is. Uh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 a very very good two D engine. It's it's really solid. Does what you need it to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I if I sat down and made my own engine, um, which at some point I would love to do because I've never actually made my own engine. Right. Um, I um, <clears throat> I would I I would not be anywhere near finished. I would not be anywhere near having a game. I I've got to do all the art myself. I've got to design. I've got to do all the sound. I've basically got to do the entire thing myself. If I have to go an entire engine and get all the bugs out, then I don't have time to you know create levels and design stuff and all that kind of thing. Um, but kind of to, to answer your question, um, if you look at Steam Greenlight and you look at some of the awful stuff that is is, is in Steam Greenlight, mm. having a really low barrier entry doesn't mean you know it. it doesn't mean there's gonna be lots of amazing games no. it just means anybody can make any old rubbish and put it up there yeah. and that's, but, that's the, the counterpoint but there's a positive yeah. you're gonna hit the butt go on what's the butt to that so i mean for me the games in the games the way the games is now it's games are much much more subjective than they were you know when i was a kid when i used to read amiga power magazine and uh, they 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 these write excellent uh, reviews and stuff but they would talk about games in terms of like technically what's good or bad about them in terms of in much more objective way whereas like objectively bad games there's not that many of them in terms of you know you play triple a a bad triple a game is a is a well it's all right it's a bit meh which is you know pretty much how you would describe call of duty these days it's like no no the last one's pretty good but yeah sorry mate sorry james uh i um this one's pretty good but yeah Take your point. I gave up after Modern Warfare 3 because I was like, I'm playing the same game over and over again. Yeah, the, the, um, and I, the latest one's pretty cool. But yeah, I take your point. Take your point. Yeah. I only played Modern Warfare 3 because it got bundled with my PS3 when I eventually bought one. <laughs> um, but I, I played the opening level to uh, Coblops and um, yeah. I, I had to replay it for some reason. And I, I, and uh, the first time I, I did it, I was like, um, this this seems like I don't need to do anything. And when I went back and did it again, I literally did nothing. Um, well, in terms of I decided. I wasn't going to shoot anyone. That was like I was going to go through this level and I was going to not shoot anybody. I was not going to fire my gun, not going to throw a grenade, not going to use my knife. And unless you actually get um, the script uh, won't of the level won't continue without because it puts up a tutorial of sneak up and stab this guy. Unless it does that, all you have to do is hide behind cover and the entire level will play out on its own. Okay. <laughs> um, now there is. There isn't the argument that it's the first level and any new players, blah de blah blah. But I'm of the ilk that says a game should present a challenge, um, and if it doesn't present a challenge, um, like one like one of the tests I had to do back in the, when we did um, at CA when we did Spartan and Viking, these are hack and slashes. And one of the basic tests you have to do is, okay, I've gone into this room. Here's a bunch of guys, and they've all got their swords out. If I just run straight through them, can I get past? Um, because the coders would put in specific kind of like challenges of guys like jumping out and, and hitting you to prevent you from just sprinting through onto the next bit. Um, that makes sense. Because like yeah. the, the game should present a challenge. It, you should not just be able to walk through. It's an interactive experience. It's something that, you know, and, and we like a challenge. People like a challenge. It's a game. It's, Unless it's, yeah. you know, everyone's gone to the rapture, then it's something else. 
<laughs> but, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, let's not go there. I mean, everyone has their opinions mm. on that. Some people loathe the walking simulator. Some people love them. It's definitely a Marmite kind of game. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced by them. They're interesting, but... Uh, oh, their game? I so, don't know. I liked Firewatch, though. That was good. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I like the look of it. I've not tried it right yet. I think the graphics look really nice, it's but beautiful... uh, then I saw Walking Simulator and was like, nah, I'm it's good. It's a story. It's just like reading the book. It's fine. So, sort of bringing up to current sort of um, times, and uh, you've already said yourself that you're a creator of video games. So what influences you as a creator of things? Well, I mean, I... I... In terms of like games, I mean, I play so many different games that it's just because I'm a gamer as well. So I, I love playing games, but I also think in terms of influence, you have to kind of look beyond just games because games is also just is a form of entertainment. So if your game's going to have a story, you've got to understand um, how stories work. So I watch lots of TV shows, I watch lots of movies, I read lots of books because you have to understand the narrative of how how to create a character, how to create how to create a story structure, how to put all the plot elements together so that you can do that in the context of your game. Um, and likewise, under, you know, if, if you understand how music works and understand the beats and things like that, um, you know, you think about um, Batman Arkham Asylum, the Arkham games, um, the, the the guy who designed the combat, he talks about how they created that in terms of looking at these, these dance machines where it's all about hitting stuff on the beat. And that's the, it's very rhythmic combat. You've got to nail the beat get the right rhythm and then Batman will, you know, just break people's bones and beat the crap out of them. Um, so I think in terms of how you, as, as a, as designer, as someone just as to create games, you have to be influenced by as many things as, as you can. You have to look to learn as much as you can about everything. Um, I mean, I, I, um, the, uh, documentaries by, uh, David Attenborough, when I, when I watch these, they make me think about AI when when he talks about how the animals do what they do and why they do what they do, um, especially in the case of uh, predatory animals, in the case of wolves. Um, you know, that, that makes you think, well, that kind of behavior, if you can understand why that kind of behavior works, then you can understand it from a point of view of, of recreating it as an AI. And then you can create an interesting predatory hunting the player AI that that will hopefully be you know fun and interesting. Um so I think in terms of being influenced by stuff, um, and, and board games as well, of course, board games, card games, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's, don't just look at, um, don't just look at the games you like, look at the games you don't like and look beyond that to any other kind of creative anything for, for, uh, yeah, in, inspiration and influence because, um, to make, um, to make a game, you kind of, yeah, you, you need to draw from everything. You need to, you need to look at everywhere and, and use that to come up with new and different ideas because, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a great answer, and th- this question I've always struggled with actually putting it in. I had a bit of an argument with some friends, like, should we put it in? It seems about facile, it seems a bit broad, but it mm. seems to be well responded to because it's good to mm. talk about these sort of things, you know. Yeah. And one of the developers, that's one of the little quips I've heard, say, look, we need more people. It's good to have people making video games who don't have a great interest in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's a very glib way of saying it but you know i mean it's good to hear you play video uh, board, i assume you play board games as well is that right i mean yeah yeah board games that. card games we yeah. used to um 
there were at CA. There's a uh, board game club. We used to go in on that because they let you go into the office whenever you like. If you, you, you it's all on a swipe card. So you can go in that whenever you want. And uh, we used oh. to hold a uh, Sunday afternoon board games. Go in. There's a coffee machine. There, there's a table in the kitchen. You just sit around and, and play board games. Um, and when we go down the pub on a Thursday, we'll often uh, sit down there and play Carcassonne or. Uh, gloom or flux or stuff like that because you know i think more people should sit in pubs playing board games because you know you can sit in pubs and drink beer and, and talk about football because and you know, that's fun i like talking about football um but you know what sitting around a board game and playing or, or a card game having a few beers is much more sociable than it is without the beers because you can you can have a laugh and have and have fun and yeah. uh yeah i i played um risk legacy uh with the <laughs> yeah we played full 15 games i have to say and uh, some of those sessions were just oh, still still make me laugh to this day. All for the wrong reasons, of course. Why are you using a missile now? I don't know. Seems like a good idea at the time. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so it's good to know that you're influenced by yeah, just mm. things, the universe, and other games. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. Risk Risk, yeah. risk Legacy is um, yeah. I, I played a game of that once. Um, we were um, I can't remember how we we. We were, at, we were at the offices, and it was a Friday night, and we ended up sitting around playing Risk Legacy until 3 in the morning. Well, I think I left at 3 in the morning, because I lost at that point. I was really tired, so I left. Right. Um, I eventually found the next day um, that the um, one of the guys in IT had won the, uh, won the game, and as his um, victory thing, he cho- chose to name North America, North Dave America. So <laughs> He got to write that on the board, and forevermore, it's North Dave America. <laughs> North Dave America. That's good. That's good. We didn't call America that. We called it something else, which I can't repeat on this podcast. <laughs> but I'll tell you right after this show. Um, and, yeah, you really don't know what we called Australia. Anyway. <laughs> the land of everything is trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah. How anyone lives beyond the age of 25 in Australia, I don't know. What developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? Um. Wow, tricky. Yeah, tricky. Don't want to um, that one, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. I mean, I. I've always. Uh, rather, than, rather than a person, but yeah. I mean, I've um always always loved um, Creative Assembly. Just like from working there since I've left there, they they've always been the most professional, solid, get the job done kind of company. Um. But I think in terms of um. Uh, who are the guys that did Bioshock until they recently shuttered? Oh, Looking Glass, isn't it? No, it wasn't. Uh, uh, the, they're from uh, Looking Glass. Uh, irrational. Irrational games. Yeah, you know, they they produce really just solid, amazing uh, stuff. And uh, LucasArts, um, yes. they, those guys were just amazing. Um, yeah. They made so much cool stuff. Um, and Bullfrog. Um, May it rest in peace. Uh, so, so many of my favourite games. And, you know, some of the games that... Um, you know, Mucky Foot and Lionhead, and some of those, the 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 offshoots, um, and uh, was it was it Hardock or the ones that made Startopia? Startopia is such a underrated game. Um, I got that somewhere. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, it's such a wonderfully underrated game, and it was absolutely in the ilk of the the theme park, the Dungeon Keeper, the those kinds of games that Bullfrog made. It was uh it was such a Bullfrog game by a different company kind of thing. But well it was by Bullfrog people, so you know, it was uh well, great answers. Great answers. Um so we move on to the last question of the first half. It's my favourite question because it gives me a hint about what you're working on next. It doesn't 
but I like to think it does. And I'm also <laughs> legally required to ask it because this is a video game podcast. I think you know what the question is. What are you playing right now? Uh, let me see. I've I've recently um, got my Oculus up and running, nice. uh, which has been nice. I have um, a PSVR on a, on, a, on a Pro. If you've got PSVR and you're running it on a Pro, good job. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I've um, yeah I've been playing a bit of Elite Dangerous on that and a bit of um, the. Uh, Eve Valkyrie, which has been fun. Um, mm. So it's really an in- incredible piece of kit. Um, and I've just, uh, on the recent Steam sale, I picked up Dirt Rally because it was finally um, discounted nicely. Um, can't afford like full price games, so half price Dirt Rally, yeah, I can stretch for that. Um, and that's uh, Oculus uh, yeah. compatible, so I'm going to try that. And, uh, I went a bit nuts with the Steam sale, I've got to say. It's been about 40, 50 quid on a whole raft of awesome games. I mean, some of them are like four, five quid. What are we going to do? <laughs> I um, I got a tip off the other day that uh, Dishonored Two was going to be um, cheap on uh, Amazon, so um, I uh, picked that up. It's only like twenty five quid on Amazon. Um, just wow. come out. I was like, oh yeah, bargain, because um, I love the first Dishonored. Um, I played that through uh, twice. The uh, the first time I I um, went in as a kind of I generally. When I play stealth games, I go in, I'm all a bit sneaky, and I'll do it, all, and then it all goes horribly wrong, and I'm like, ah, screw it, I'll just kill everyone. Ah! Um, <laughs> so I kind of, I went, and you, and you get kind of halfway through, and I go talking to this, like, kid Emily, um, that you're the one you, like, rescue and protect and stuff, and she's sat there in the house pits pub, and she's drawing, and you go and look at the picture she's drawing, and it's like, that's a bit creepy? And um, I, I later on, so I carry on doing it, and, and it, you get to the end, and you rescue her, um, beat all the bad guys, you rescue her, and then and then she she the last line she said to me was, "It's okay, I was going to have them all killed anyway." And I was like, "Whoa, I I, I broke Emily. I need to go back and fix it." So I went back and played <laughs> the game again and went through the super selfie. Don't kill anyone. Don't kill anyone. And then she draws a picture that's all happy flowers and balloons. And then you get the nice ending, and it's like, "Phew, I I, I fixed Emily." <laughs> um, <laughs> The ultimate new game plus, right there in your face. Yeah, like, um, know, child abuse. Well, not abuse, but you know, trauma. trauma that's, child trauma. There you go. Sorry. That, that's one of the things I, I I really like about video games. That um is is like the that kind of visceral emotive response they can draw from you as a player. You know, there yeah. there's that that sudden feeling of oh shit I fucked up. Oh I've got to go back and fix this. Oh my god no. Um, but I'm actually um playing it through again for a third time. Um, before I start this on a two, I decided over the weekend, it's like, I'm, I'm going to play it again because I've never done the just go and kill absolutely everyone that moves um, and see what ending that is because apparently there's like four different endings or something. Um, so I'm currently going through this on and trying trying that version to get that ending and then I'm going to hit this on a two. Um, yeah, with hopefully a bit of. Uh... I picked it up from uh, Amazon as well for the PS4 and they were only selling it for 30 quid, um, which is a freaking bargain. It's you know it's mm. sad when the game comes just comes out, but they will bloody insist on releasing these games in this month window. Stop doing it! Stop yeah. it! It's not doing you any good. But oh well, they won't listen. No one will listen. Um, but anyway, that's 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 a great raft of games. Yeah, Dishonored and the Dishonored Two games are mm. very very special. And, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. Uh, normally get much time to actually kind of play games, but uh, since I got the early access release done, I kind of like 
taking a few little bits of breaks and stuff and actually trying to like chill out a bit here and there and uh yeah, it'll probably help the development of uh, uh yeah of captain uh, kaon anyway so i'll mm. have to think it will like i know anything but speaking of captain kaon yay segue i'm good at those <laughs> although yeah. i've just now labeled it as such so no longer is one great chris let's move on to the second half of the show where we go deep deep into captain kaon first question also known as the zeroth question because it's not really a question um tell us about captain kaon what is it so it's a i call it a twin stick gravity shooter um i think the term gravity shooter is correct and applies but it feels like it's the right way of describing it it's basically a remake of sort of thrust and gravitar um because I, I played them as a kid and sort of love that whole kind of like tilt, thrust, keep the ship moving, trying to shoot bad guys, trying not to crash into the wall kind of mechanics. It's quite kind of intense. It's a bit micromanaging, which I kind of try to like mitigate in, in Captain Kale as make it not as micromanaging as the kind of thrust and stuff was. Um, and I've also, I've given the game a 360 turret because one of the tricky things of thrust is you're kind of like, you're trying to thrust one way to not crash whilst thrust the other way to shoot something and you're constantly on this knife edge of, of can I shoot, can I crash, uh, 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 um, which, crash. yeah, <laughs> it was a very, very hard game. Um, and I decided to make it, uh, by, by sticking a 360 turret on there, um, I still maintain the. You still have to pay attention if you're not if you're looking too much at what you're shooting and not checking on your ship. You're gonna you're gonna veer off and crash. So you still have to have to manage your ship, make sure you're flying through the nooks and crannies and stuff correctly. But you can actually dogfight in a way that's a bit more fun and, and accessible than uh, sort of the the earlier games. Um, but it's um, yeah, which uh, hopefully it's uh, it's people enjoy it and it sends, uh, find it's fun. Um, I kind of find it fun, so I hope if I find it fun after three years of working on it, then hopefully other people will find it fun as well. You know, yeah. Um, I'm just yeah. It's, it's, so what we're looking at here is for those, those uh, old fogies out there listening to this. Not that many of you uh, old fogies watching this. Um, this has got thrust and thrust two aspects to it. There's also a bit of voids, which I know you didn't play personally, but trust me, there's a lot of voids in there, whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> And uh, Gravitar as well, which is not a game I'm familiar with, but it looks like I'm going to have to delve into because I really, really like Captain Kaon. Um, so uh, if it's inspired by that, then I need to play that too. Um, but um, let's go on to the first design question. You hinted at this earlier, but I want to delve into it a little bit more. So when I'm flying the ship, there's a tendency to focus on what you're firing at rather than the ship or what it's doing. How do you believe the game ensures that the player... Atten- players' attention is drawn to both things. Um, yeah, it's certainly it's it's a, it's a tricky kind of part of the the challenge of, of um, playing the game that you have to kind of. Um, unfortunately, you can you can just like hold the button down, spray off. You can 
the actual like the amount of gravity is not so much that it will pull you down rapidly which like the old games it for us and so forth it was it would just uh, as soon as you weren't thrusting it you just start to plummet yes so the game's got a bit of floatiness so it will it will hold it you can you can tap and that and you can you can you can straighten the ship out you can tap and then you can once you once you got it right you can then you can take your shots and then you can move and you can um so generally you can you can flick back and forth between what you're shooting what your craft's doing and you're able to actually do that okay it's it's but it's that challenge of of dividing your time properly and not if you get too drawn into and too kind of like i, I i'm shooting this i'm shooting that yay woo and and forget about your ship then you're going to kind of hit stuff and crash into stuff um which is a kind of you know that's that's your, your kind of punishment as it were for not paying attention to your ship kind of thing um but at the same time i've not given it so that you do that you, you do too much damage if you craft in stuff you'll you'll bump you'll take dents stuff like that so you'll get a bit of damage but mainly you're going to get the damage from getting shot by the other ships um so yeah i mean hopefully it's it's a case of um you you, you know you, you need to pay attention to flying your ship because otherwise you'll crash but it's not going to punish you too much in terms of how much damage you take if you crash. You just suddenly go, oh, I've crashed and I just need to correct it. And there we go, I'm fine. And I've taken a little scrape. There's a bit of, bit of health off, but I can, I can carry on. Um, yeah. And, and the, kind of, the worst that happened is like, all oh, the AIs now kind of moved down it and they're kind of um, ganging up me a bit because I, and that's also the kind of knock on of like, you've, you've taken the time to correct your ship and now that the AI is coming at you. So you've got to kind of balance that back and forth. And uh, hopefully I've kind of. Um, got it right and got the, the kind of the, the difficult and the balancing of it right that you kind of but we shall see until lots of people play it and tell me if, if they like it or not I, I kind of don't really know but <laughs> I just found that my attention really was drawn to what I was firing at more than anything and like mm. oh, oh god no I'm being crushed you know <laughs> you know and that was quite it's quite amusing and it just I had a lot of muscle memory issues not negative ones it's like oh yeah this is how I used to play these games so I'm- yeah um, I definitely have a problem with the game being um, um, like a challenge. It's uh, um, I I have trouble completing some of the missions. Um, quite a few of the missions. It's 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 quite hard, um, and I'm kind of in two minds as to to what degree do I make it easier? Because if I make it, you know, I need it to be a challenge, but yeah. at the same time, I don't want it to be really easy. So how? Okay. Just, what's, what's the you know dividing line? It's uh, tricky. Put your mind at rest. There's a game called Run Gun Jump Gun. Are you aware of it? Um, no. Yeah, ring a bell. They featured us on on uh, episode uh, recently on this show. Uh, lovely people. Um, one word: run, gun, jump, gun. The only reason I mention it is because there's lots of similarities between you and your uh, that game in this. In some ways, the gravity takes a hold. Other than that, it's it's very different. But it is very, very, very difficult. But it revels in it. It revels mm. in the fact that it is difficult to the point it starts laughing at the player when they fail. Now this is a thing you can you can take, but I would strongly recommend you grab it. It's on Steam, uh, and it's just something that'd be good to because I felt I got the same kind of feeling because despite the difficulty of uh, Captain Kaon, I kept on playing because I was mm. fun. I really like exploring because that's the other thing I found. There's a lot of exploring going on, and you, you you basically you keep on getting deeper and deeper, and you as you get deeper and deeper, you get further away from your base. You got to risk that risk reward of getting deeper, then flying back and repairing yourself. Then get it's it's a it's a I find it quite meditative in many regards. <laughs> so, does, speaking of uh, progression and things, there's the definite sense of progression in Captain Kaon. So, 
you know, you, as the more you do, the more you unlock, the more things you get rewarded by. How have you found drip feeding content to the player versus the game's pacing? Um, <clears throat> it's been kind of um, it's it's been a kind of tricky thing to do because so I mean, originally the presentation of the levels was a linear one after the other um, set of missions, um, and they would be multi-stage missions. There was going to be this whole like I did the ship hub where I had different rooms and you, and there was going to be a bar that you could go in and you could talk to other characters and there was this and there was that and I kind of realised that I'd done some of it but not enough of it especially like like the bar conversation thing and it, there was just too much work especially in correct in terms of like content and art and stuff to actually do that and it was way too ambitious and I realised I was I was just being a bit silly and so I took all that out and just went right. Just linear missions. Here you go. One mission off the next. There you go. Play the game. Um, and I was actually, um, I was walking through town, going to the train station, thinking about the game. And I just made this change. I was trying to figure out how do I introduce the um, the gunships and the weapons and stuff like that. And I had considered, or well, my plan at the time was to, at certain points, you'd be given a choice of okay. So like three missions in, you're given a choice of of a new gunship. Do you want? Do you want the Falcon? Do you want the Hawk? Um, three more missions after that, you're given another choice. Um, do you want the shotgun or the pulse laser? Um, and you would unlock new stuff kind of that way. But it didn't. It, it, initially, that felt like uh, quite a neat idea. But then after a while, I kind of felt like, well, actually, no, it's not that good an idea. It's, it's not really a great way to do it. And, and I suddenly had this idea pop into my head of um, Syndicate, which was this very simple campaign map where each region you go on the click on the region and it, you'll get a bespoke mission and you do that mission you get that region and i just thought i, I can do that i can i can just i can make a map i can divide divide it up into regions i can assign break the missions down into the separate stages assign them all to a region and then i've got a campaign map and then instead of having a linear progression of levels i now have this non-linear you pick which mission you do add in some like resource acquisition stuff so you can balance uh um which mi- how how you choose the mission you you have to expend some resources stuff like that so a little bit of decision making going on there but the and then i would um i've added so so the the unlock is now certain regions you go and do they will then unlock the thing so and you're told beforehand if you do this mission you'll get this gunship um so then you pick your path and you go well i'm having trouble on this mission maybe if i go do this mission i, I can get the, the the new gun and then i can go back and do this mission that mission will be a bit easier um that's what i'm i'm kind of trying to do but it's very it's very hard to balance that because what path is the player going to take through the game? You know, it, it kind of expands out. You can go in all sorts of different directions. You don't know what order they're going to do the missions in, so you don't know how to balance the missions because you don't know which ship they've got. So I'm kind of having to look at it and go, play it over and over again. Okay, okay, at this point, when I'm on this, this ship, I've got these regions, so these regions should all work off that ship. These regions can all work off this ship and this gun and stuff like that. And it's... Uh, it's, it's uh, tricky to do i, I think I'm, I'm just about getting there um but but that's mostly in the sense that well all the missions are really hard so if you just keep giving them new ships and stuff then the missions will get easier because they've got new ships um although i've just made the last third of the missions um even harder by giving the pods on that uh, level shield so they now take twice as many hits to defeat um so those levels might not be very easy to complete <laughs> now at all um i i, I just love i'm very methodical so i just basically penetrate areas get uh, pacify them as best i can then run yeah. like hell mm. hair come out i mean this works for the earlier levels anyway 
It doesn't work like so much for the later levels I found. But um, enemies, though, they are numerous, aren't they? Yeah. And, uh, they're replenished via generators in very gauntlet-like fashion. Um, yeah. Um, why? So I kind of... Um, I went with this idea of like, okay, so you got, you're you flying. If you fly and you, you shoot the bad guys and then, then all the bad guys are dead and then you just fly around and then... But I kind of... If you have a lot of guys, you can just go in and shoot and then you have the extra step of like, well, if I want to dominate this area, if I want to clear it out, then I need to go and find where they're coming from take that out. And um, which, yeah, is essentially it's the gauntlet... Um, the gauntlet spawner idea um and yeah i just i just kind of felt that that was a um because i i the earlier versions of the game that i did um i did this kind of this very simple first playable much more of a thrust remake kind of thing um and in that i had the ai as just a very simple old school not even really ai it was just like it was this like dummy it was a, a, a sphere with an eye on it so it had a bit of character and it would move back and forth or up and down. And then I expanded that a bit to it would move around the path um, and back and forth. And then I kind of expanded a bit further to, to make them a bit more complicated. And I found that playing it, um, which cause I think if you're, if you're designing the game, the most important thing you should do is just keep playing the thing um, as much as you can, as often as you can, because um, your experience of playing the game is, is how you, is, is how you make decisions about designing the game. What, when you play it, what do you find fun? What do you find interesting? And I just found that playing it and flying in, shooting the first couple of guys, and then having to fly up around all these levels all the time that were suddenly empty because I killed them all in the first bounce, um, it meant that the ferrying of stuff back and forth was just not as interesting. So I kind of... Um, when I was doing a new version of the AI, I decided, okay, let's, let's try a spawner so that they're it'll spawn them out and then just keep replenishing them so that there's just all the, always an odd one here and there around the place to uh, to present you with a challenge so that flying from A to B always has a challenge to it and is never just flying from A to B. Um, and um, then I thought, well, you know, if you're going to have this spawner, then you should at least reward, reward the player by saying, okay, if you go and destroy the spawner, then you get it clear. So then when it, there is nothing to do from A to B, that's because you took the time and effort to go and take out this spawner. Um, so um and when i did that version i just found i i playing the game i found it a more interesting more enjoyable um experience once i did that so i just kind of stuck with it and uh i the um latest version of the game i um i put online uh, yesterday i've just done a new version of the of the spawner which is um it's a kind of a drilling machine um which uh, if you remember thunderbirds um they had this uh machine that just had a massive pointy drill thing on yeah, and basically when thunderbird you too, didn't it yeah. yeah, yeah. Essentially, as you're flying along, they're hiding in the wall, and they will basically explode out the wall, open up, and spew out a bunch of enemies at you, <laughs> um, as like a surprise attack. Um, and I've, um, at the moment, I've only got them coming out from the left or the right. I need from the top and from the bottom as well. Um, and then, essentially, at any point when you're flying around, it could suddenly the wall could suddenly explode this big drill machine come out and just throw these uh, enemy pods at you as an extra like surprise nice, um, nice. which uh, yeah so yeah great answer that, that's the kind of thing I want to tease out of you but it's the last question now to show I know sad oh. it's all good things come to an end but uh, I want to talk about this because uh, as I was playing it I was to talk about muscle memory and uh, regressing to 30 years ago when I used to play these games on 16-bit platforms, such as the Amiga or the ST. 
Um, it does look like a 16-bit game if you take it at a glance. But if, mm. uh, you and I know that no 16-bit machine could ever possibly cope with about what's going on. I mean, yeah. it's so busy. It would, it would, it would bring uh, an Amiga to its knees. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just want to know um, that aside, the fact that everything's moving, you have all sorts of things swinging around, a big, big arm swinging at you, and it's quite funny. Uh, although I've been crushed a few times by those. Um, yeah. <laughs> what what, um, what aspects of games from that 16-bit era that you and I clearly have an affection for have you retained in Captain Kaon? And what have you thrown away? So essentially, when it when it came to um, kind of recreating the sort of the the, the Amiga style and Amiga sort of art feel, uh, that sort of pixel art feel that I was kind of going for, um, I essentially because I just I just kind of tapped into my youth. I just I just sat down and did what I was. I just rewound the clock and what what was I doing when I was thirteen, fourteen? How was I making art back then? And I just sat down and did that. Um, uh, but but with a kind of with a a more modern, vibrant palette, um, and I and and essentially the, the art style just like came out of that. Um, so essentially, because I at the core I was just doing what I did when I was doing it back then. It's it's I've recreated it by just carrying on doing what I was doing when I was a kid, but with with a few added modern things such as the the uh, a more vibrant um, uh, palette. Um, but yeah, there there are there are some interesting things that I've had to kind of learn that are different that. Such as particle effects. You know, the, the the when I was a kid, you didn't do particle effects. You couldn't do particle effects. They didn't exist. Like no, <laughs> well, no. games. Could, you know, a console couldn't. Uh, you know, the Amiga couldn't handle particle effects. So you know, I I had to well, kind of sit down and they could if you had the souped up one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yes, you're right. The standard Amiga, don't be silly. Um, you, you couldn't do it, and that's. The, I mean, it would be a flickering mess, wouldn't it? It would just go. This yeah. is too much. I can't do this. I'm, I'm mm. going to fall over. <laughs> yeah, but that was, that was essentially the, the kind of. Um, so I've had to like learn those new things, but also try and make them um, look like um, they're just still the same pixel art things um, by using kind of custom sprites that are pixel art sprites, and then they all spew out, and then um, and it hopefully kind of uh, still maintains that look and feel of, of and sort of gives you the nostalgia for those old kind of games, but is done in a more modern way. Um, yeah, it's, because, it's, uh, it's clearly made for recently because it's taken on design mm. aspects, game design aspects and development advancements that, you know, back then they would say, well, that's, you can't do that. No machine can possibly do what you're asking it to mm. do. Whereas now we have... Not a limitless resource, is that ignorant to say, but almost when it comes to a game like this, like, do you have enough memory? Oh, go away. <laughs> <laughs> I have 20 terabytes on this machine, go away. I don't, but you know what I mean. Um, and it's just, it's. Oh, no, I did. Yeah. I did have some um, unfortunate memory leaks going on earlier, um, which, uh, I, once I. I, I on Mac and mostly cleared them up, but it would. Um, the, the game uses about 250 megs of memory, yeah. um, 
which is you know tiny amount um but unfortunately it does leak a little bit which i, I i've mostly got them all done but uh when when i hadn't um it would fill up a gig of me- an hour of gameplay would fill up a gig of memory um three hours of gameplay would crash the, would crash the game because it was just leaking memory all over the place i was i just suddenly realized oh 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 i i forgot to do some things didn't i i should go and, yeah. i should go and clean this stuff up quickly <laughs> shouldn't i yep let's just go and do that and and then not crash anymore um yeah that's great no it's uh I'm really, really uh, happy that this game exists in the world, and I can only thank you for for making it. Um, and I do wish you the very, very best best of luck with it. Um, I have been playing it using my Link Box, my Steam machine. Um, I do like playing indie games on my telly because it's <laughs> nice, <laughs> and I can yeah. do that. Um, if yeah, it's not easy to, because you need to have it all wired, and I used a power mm. cable, you know, the power socket things. Um, yeah. that's fine don't try wireless everyone it's a waste of time even you know, <laughs> Valve themselves say don't do that stupid uh, <laughs> you know, even the, maybe, unless you've got an amazing Wi-Fi connection I don't think it really works so James thank you very 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 much for being on the show you've been a great guest thank you uh, it's been great it's been fun yeah I hope you got something out of it I know I certainly did uh, and, it's been a good chat yeah it has been a good chat and uh, all and welcome to come back on to talk about your next game whatever that may be um, but in the meantime, well, fingers crossed. Sometime next summer, I'll uh, I'll be well on the way to. Uh, I've, I've got my next project planned, um, or I have my idea, um, and it's kind of uh, it, for the first time in my life. I'm not telling people because um, like, I have this um, this kind of um, thing I've noticed with people that I've worked with where they always have this little pet project they won't tell you about. But after a while, they know well, they're like, oh no, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is, and they tell you, and and you're just like you're trying to find a way to politely tell them that sounds like a whole bunch of games I've already played and doesn't sound particularly interesting. Like what's the unique ceiling point? What's going on? But because they never tell anybody, they never go through this process of um, having their idea challenged and having to like defend it and come up with ideas of why it's good and stuff. So I, I have this, this standard, like if I sat at my desk and I, and I had an idea that, and I'm, I've gone to the kitchen, I'm having a chat with someone like, I just had this idea for a game. We could just like do this and do that and do that. And, and um, and, and see what their response is. And do they, do they like the ideas? Do they not like the ideas? Do they think it's good or bad and that kind of thing? And uh, that way you get much better at coming up with simple little ideas right. that, that you can make right. in the games. Um, right. And I've, I, I recently was, I was sort of sat there and suddenly this idea popped in my, head, got in my head. And like, if, if I was pitching it to a publisher, my pitch would be to go into the room, to open up a laptop, to go into Google, to type in two words, press enter, show them the, the, the search results and they would like find no games matching the, the two words. They would just find a long list of people asking on, on Reddit and on forums asking, is there a game like this? And there isn't one. And I'm like, oh my God, I found a game that no one's ever even thought of making. Oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> so I kind of really, 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 really need to make a bit of money from Captain Chaos so I can make it because I'm like, I want to make this game, I want to make this game, I want to make this game. And, and yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, I'm really excited so hopefully I'll be, now. Cool. Hopefully I'll come back in six months and I'll be like, "Hey, look at this game yeah. I'm making!" Like, ha- and, and and it's like it's it's when if if I told you it's like so facepalm worthy that you're like, "How has no one made this?" <laughs> it's like take two incredibly popular things and put them together and no one's done this. <laughs> How has no one done this? I better have it zombies sense. in it, otherwise we're screwed. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not zombies. No, <laughs> it's not zombies because they put everything in zombies now. <laughs> Zombie cakes. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, well, James, yeah, I'm going to let you go. But thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, okay, I shall go back to the grindstone and uh, 
carry on putting beaches in and new levels and all the rest. <laughs> and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the stablemate podcast, should we say, of spong.com. Bye! Thank you.